3: Hello and welcome to another episode of Something From The Cellar, a chance for us to revisit some of our vintage conversations that resigned in the White Wine Question Time Cellar, with almost 300 episodes in our back catalogue to choose from. In this episode, we're giving you a little amuse-bouche to get your mouth watering for our forthcoming episode with, well, frankly, kitchen royalty, superstar chef Rick Stein. An episode with him drops this Friday, so... To get your juices flowing. We're devoting the next 40 minutes to some fellow culinary legends. First up is actress, cook and best-selling author Faye Ripley. Here she shares her dream dinner party as well as recounting the night that a fussy A-lister came for dinner and gave her a taste of a nightmare dinner party. You cook up for me your dream dinner party menu, complete with your dream dinner party guest
4: list. What are you cooking? Who's coming for tea? Do you know what? I have been asked this over the years. Oh, sorry. You know, it's, no, 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 no. I'm, but, but I'm going to qualify that. No, no. It's a good question because I think people have heroes and they want to. You know, the, the dream would be oh you know, maybe I could meet. And in the past, I think I have given a list of sort of amazing people that I would like to come over for dinner. But it has changed. Yeah, I, I think, think that's... the pandemic changed that, don't you? Um, Yeah, and just getting older. And do you know what it is? What's changed is sometimes it's the meeting your heroes thing yeah. that has changed it. And <laughs> it's a combination of it can often be a little disappointing. Oh, have you had that? Slash... Um, too stressful. So some of the people that I would like would be food people so there might be chefs and things and I've had a couple of chefs um, uh, there's a there is a very very good chef who's a close friend of mine and he's Italian I won't name him he knows who he is and um, he's Michelin starred and he um, ate something of mine and I was literally I had I, I thought I was going to have a stroke right first of all and I was sort of looking at him these sort of doughy eyes just sort of willing him to love it and he just went eh, it's a bit dry and that was it and I was just like oh um, wounded and wounded forever so I've sort dry. of got to the point where I, my dream dinner party is kind of just my best mate yeah and a roast chicken that's what I really think and a show off pudding So I do like a round of applause so I always will do a show off pudding otherwise I'm a bit like Oh, all right. A bit casual about the meal, everyone. Hello. Um, So I like to sort of be able to go, oh, God, it was nothing. Honestly, I've been uh, running around all day and just threw it together. Uh, But and yet it's incredible. I use indoor fireworks to also add drama. Do you really? Put it in the top. Honestly, it doesn't matter if it tastes awful. Everyone will go, wow. So, But and also I I did write about it in the... um, I wrote about a dinner party that I had for, let's say, some A-listers, and the, again, I it was a, for an actress, and I hugely admired her. I still do as an actress, but I went to too much trouble. I I went overboard it was embarrassing like I needed to be more casual with it I tried way too hard (laughs) I I think I aged 10 years in the process she was so rude (laughs) no she was so rude and um she. I was mean, first of all, she was on a diet, which she didn't tell me about. I had con- I'd sent emails going, any t- any dietary requirements, you know. And anyway, she had a photo shoot, and her and her her partner were on diets and basically only having water. And I'd done an eight course taster menu. No. And by the end, my final pavlova with indoor fireworks in. I swear, I was so close to shoving it in her face <laughs> when she. When she, she put a hand up to my face <gasps> to go, no, she didn't want it. Oh, I tell you. And the, do you know what? Never sent a thank you card. Never sent a text. No. So I'm done. I'm done with my heroes. I just want my mates around. That's Sorry. devastating. I know. She was at your house as well. Yeah, because you you sometimes you know doing the jobs that we do, we we meet people yeah, and have friends by. that are that are sort of really other people's heroes and yours sometimes, and um, you know not all the time, but anyway, lesson learnt. Uh, my best friend lives four doors down from me, but just by coincidence. Um, How nice! So i just have her around Yes, yeah, lovely family. And too. I think sometimes
3: a good chicken and your best friends, is hard to beat. It's hard to beat. And in, so there you go. In lockdown, that's all I wanted. I wasn't missing fancy restaurants or I just missed people and company and the ability to touch somebody on the arm while you're laughing and not feel like you were going to be diseased by the end of it.
4: I know what you mean. Although I was lucky enough because my friend lives in my street that we were often able to sort of, you know, be at a distance in a garden or go for a walk at a distance because we were right there next to each other. So she she saved me. We were all sort of saved by by each other's family, actually. So we were very lucky. Did Um, you cook a lot in in lockdown? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, well, the thing about the lockdown thing, and there's a, you know, obviously I am aware this is just a small privileged minority, but it, it hit at a time when my kids would have and should have, because it would have been better for them. So I'm purely talking selfishly, awful for them, obviously, but they would have been out, probably taking drugs and abusing alcohol. <laughs> And the, but it stopped that for a while. So I didn't have to worry about where they were. They had to be basically suckling on mother's breast again (laughs) and i was delighted with that result obviously i was aware there's a terrible fearful pandemic going on i was really worried by the way i was volunteering at the vaccine center for a year so i did Did I i was partaking in in the whole event but as a sidebar I was so grateful for that little bit of time with them that I captured with my kids. As I say, I don't think it was great for them. <laughs> I think they would tell a different story. But I was able to cook for them to, to you know, they were forced into a relationship with me that they ha- would have long since and have long since bunged in the bin. Totally. Um, they're because out. they're their, out because of their age, which is the most natural age, thing yeah. in the
3: world. But it is hard, isn't it? I mean, I think I think we might be similar as parents, Fay. I just want to hold him close forever and he's nearly 15 now my son. You've got you're you're ahead of me there. I miss being the mother of a young child desperately some days, don't you I
4: I am so I'm so broody i 'm all the time i am my daughter's actually now twenty she's twenty and i mean it's not right, but i'm encouraging an early pregnancy <laughs> i'm actively hiding contraception um it's not it's it just i'm i was i was an old mum in the first place i can't hang about I understand it's your life, but what about mine um and my 16 year old son i th- you know again i i'll i'll give it another year and then i'll start going in there as well <laughs> saying come on what you got for me um but anyway but that but th- that that time has become a sort of you know obviously it was what it was in so many different ways for so many different people but there was a just a percentage of it that i was grateful to mm. be holding on to my kids for yeah i hear you Next up,
3: we're diving back into our conversation with the brilliant Dame Prue Leith. With an extensive list of accolades to her name, she's a businesswoman, a chef, an entrepreneur, a TV personality and, of course, a bake-off judge. This lady never stops. And let me tell you, she doesn't mess around.
5: The first um, 25 years of my life, I was building up my business, so I was... um, I was first of all a caterer. I was, you know, I started in a bed bedsitter cooking people's dinners, um, you know, going around the tube with my ingredients in one hand and my tools in the other. And I mean, you really I, were a one woman
3: band to begin with, weren't you, Prue? Yes, I was, yeah. absolutely. And you were doing um, corporate lunches, corporate dinner parties, cooking for businesses, really. Yes,
5: and cooking for housewives, cooking for posh women in Kensington. And you know, well, yes, they so tried to pass it yes, off as their I, own. Yeah, they did. And one it's one woman who I cooked I cooked her dinner parties for her and one day I heard through the hatch, you know, she had a hatch from her between her her um, kitchen and her dining room. And I could hear everything that was going on in the dining room and somebody said, Um, you know, this this food is absolutely delicious. Can I have your cook's name? Because I'd like her to do my director's lunches for me in the city. And she said no, oh, no, 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 no. She said that will go in the kitchen. She's just there to do the washing up. She said, "I do all the cooking. I wouldn't dream of having a cook." And I was so bloody indignant. That I wanted to go <laughs> through the hatch and put them all right. Did you? No, I didn't. What I did <laughs> did do though was I had hung up all the coats when the guests arrived. So I put one of my business cards into every pocket I could find on all the coats Touché. in that yeah. and. And I wrote on the top of the cards, Your dinner was cooked by <laughs> And I'll tell you what worked, because the next morning that guy rang me up and he said, um, you know, I I um I? he said I really thought your dinner was absolutely delicious and he said, when he asked me if I'd do his lunches and he said, You're a very good cook he said, but I was far more impressed with your marketing skills. <laughs> it
3: was brilliant. <laughs>
5: So, anyway, that was my first. uh, So so then I opened a restaurant um, because I'd always wanted a restaurant, but you can't open a restaurant if you don't have any money. So I started doing catering first. Then I opened a restaurant in 1969. And then in 1974, I realized I really needed a, a, a chef's school, a cookery school, because I wanted to have, I didn't want to have to train chefs once they got to me. I wanted them to arrive trained. And I wanted them to pay me to train them and then I could hire them <laughs> rather than me having I mean, to pay them and then train them.
3: You're so smart, Pro. And also you have just skipped over the bit where in between opening a restaurant and opening a cookery school, you were awarded a
5: Michelin star did have a Michelin star. It took a long time but we did get one. You did? And, and I got business woman of the year.
3: You did. Both achievements by the way. Um, I mean obviously business woman of the year is, is mm. only ever going to be won by a woman but to, to become awarded, uh, to, to, to win that Michelin star, you were woman. very rare in the, in the world of chefs because women A, didn't own their own restaurants and B the hours were never chef friendly for
5: a, a woman. For women, no. And yeah. they, they, they aren't now no. because... Um, I mean, they they never will be until men will, are prepared to look after the children. Mm. Um, no, not quite. Because all you, you look at Michelin star chefs, they're near, women. They're nearly all. They don't have children, or they're not married. Mm. Um, so that's a, a problem. But actually, to be fair, it, I didn't really gain that um, Michelin star. The, the chef who did is Alex Floyd, who's a top chef. And he he got us at the Michelin star. Really, not me. That's I just owned it. I owned the joint. He got it. Yeah. But you pro you owned the
3: joint. Um, right. You know you you didn't come through multiple kitchens. You were self not self-taught. You studied yeah. at the yeah. Cordon Bleu School of of cookery. Um, but you hadn't had the same route to business as a lot of your competitors. You have
5: trailed your own you know path really in so many ways. Well, I did the three businesses catering, restaurant, and cookery school. Um, And then I realised that what I really wanted to do, I was all the time, at the same time I was writing um, for food for newspapers, I was the Daily Mail um,
3: food lady. Where does this come from, Prue? this ability to see an opportunity and bring it to life?
5: I don't know. My um, my mother was an actress, and she had a theatre company. Um, and she was pretty brave. I realise mm-hmm. now, So I didn't think so at the time. I just thought she was, you know, my mum's my, my an actress, you know. But uh, you know, she was. You know, she she decided that she were we were in South Africa, mm-hmm. and she got very frustrated because the sanctions against South Africa, because it was apartheid time then, um, were really very restrictive, so she couldn't do um, she couldn't do any plays that new plays in England. And John Mortimer at the time was the head of the Playwright's Guild or something. Or writers Guild. And so she came to England to bash him around the head and, and basically to say, look, if you want to change apartheid in South Africa, you're not going to do it by burning the books. What you need to do is to make sure that plays, especially plays that are going to enlighten people and make them realize, you know, there were wonderful plays about apartheid, which my mother was putting on, but she wanted to have English playwrights as well as just South African playwrights. And her solution was to come to England and fight it, and she did. And she persuaded him, and he and he got the um, Writers skill to drop their sanction.
3: And we must remember that times were very different back then. Your mother would have been quite alone in that as a woman yeah. uh, coming well, to a different country to try and demand change.
5: You know, that's yeah. that's really something. And and she was a really good actress, and she and she used to campaign yeah. against apartheid. She belonged to. An organisation called the Black Sash, which was a women's group, and they were sort of very sort of middle class educated women who stood on the town hall steps and just peacefully holding placards saying, you know, you know, something about apartheid being wrong. And and I remember her coming home one day absolutely spattered with egg yolks because people had been pitching eggs at these women. Extraordinary, it's, isn't it? Yeah, and then,
3: so so that's where you get some of your chutzpah from for sure. Um, yeah. But well, we talk about you know this first revolution alongside your business uh, life. There was a very different kind of uh, life to to those of your friends happening in your personal life. You'd you'd come to London. You were staying with friends of the family, um, yeah. uh, the Krugers. And, yes. um, you became Rain's mistress, as you've said, for thirteen years, which in so many ways enabled you to, it freed you up pro to build your business, didn't it, because you weren't yeah. running home to be part of a
5: relationship in the conventional sense uh, Yeah, no, and i wasn't um you know I wasn't having to cook, cook for a husband every night no. <laughs> well, um no i absolutely, and um I once said that in a um at a literary festival. And the, the next morning, the Daily Mail ran a piece saying, I, say, I just said, you know, I never asked Rain to leave his wife because I was very happy. Um, you know, I was building my business. I didn't have to be, I had none of the duties of wife and I had all the pleasures of somebody who loved me and, and so on. And so, so I, I, I wasn't pressing for marriage. <laughs> so... Daily Mail then ran a headline saying um, Prue Leith recommends adultery as the <laughs> best solution to a successful business or something. No, I was not recommended. <laughs> so um, but yes, I did we did have thirteen secret years. Um, and nobody ever guessed because we were very discreet about it. But it was easier in a way because he was a, he was a family friend and he was the chairman of my company and he'd helped me enormously. And everybody knew that we were great friends and that he was my sort of mentor because he was 20 years older than me. And so, um, you know, if... I mean, we didn't go out to dinner or anything that would create in, any kind of... Um, suspicion so we just, but you know if people saw us together they thought it was because we worked together
3: yeah so you had a lot more free time to focus on being a businesswoman
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices
3: finally it's Simon Rimmer, restaurateur, TV chef and now podcaster. Here he reminds us that food should always make you feel sexy. Think on that next time you stick your hands into a bag of crisps and also tells us why it's important to give up and coming chefs the chance to flourish as well as talking about his love and talent for interviewing even though it was never originally on his menu for life.
6: I'd avoid you doing a podcast for ages. My edgy kept saying Should you do a podcast, you're a broadcaster, you need to do a podcast. I said, but I've got nothing to say. And the, the premise of it came about when I was having I was having a conversation with Tom Kerridge, we're having a cup of coffee together. And what a lovely man, eh? Really lovely man. And and he sort of said, oh yeah, and you know I remember reading White Heat by Marco Pierre White, and I decided that's the chef I want to be. And there was something there that made me think, wow, we've all got that sort of pivotal moment, not just in as chefs, but in, in our careers, where you go, that was the moment when I either decided by default or design that that's the way my world is going to go. And so that's where the premise of it came from. And, I, and I've been incredibly flattered that literally everybody that i've invited on has said yes i think you know because i've been around a long time and i know everybody and they feel they feel safe you know they, they know that i can speak chef talk with them and also i can talk nonsense with them and telly talk and and whatever else and it, it's been uh, it, it's joyous i love it i absolutely love it this week i've done michael caines and uh nadia um, and uh, nisha katona and just very very yeah. different characters but you know just just lovely joyous thing to do
3: and you know what? You can hear when somebody loves to interview and you do, and it was never what you came um, into no. telly to do. You were, First and foremost, you were chefing, right? You were cooking on telly.
6: Yeah, that, that, that's it. And I think, you know, I, I, and I've got to say that, um, hats off to Tim. I think that working with Tim, whilst, you know, people sort of sometimes criticize his style, Tim is a perfect, I mean, you know, Tim, he, he's, yeah. he's a perfectionist. He, his level of kind of research. And I like the fact that I think, as we all know, the best way to be an interviewer is to listen. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. You know, you want to have a framework, but I think as, if you listen and then respond to what you hear, but don't lose track of it, that's, I think that just comes with practice. And I, I do, I do it love does. it.
4: Yeah.
3: But I think in the first instance you've got to be interested, and um, yeah, and, and and some people just genuinely aren't. You know, uh, my dad, for example, would never sit down and find an hour's worth of questions to ask somebody, but he'd gladly sit <laughs> and listen to them. I, meanwhile, would have you know, clipboards uh, with question <laughs> series A of questions, backup questions, backup C, ballistic you know, so on and so forth. <laughs> because I love it, and I'm fascinating it in people's growth, and I think that's that's what you're profiling with the chefs that you feature um the rick stein episode i I absolutely loved there was a brilliant moment where he said was it you that said that your business partner had likened um well what he said was um that a great meal at a great restaurant should compel you to go upstairs and have sex
6: yeah i think that's absolutely true you do
3: you believe that
6: yeah, I do. Well, I think it's that whole thing that, um and not necessarily with the person that you're with. I don't think it's about sort of saying, I want sex now. It should make you feel sexy. You know, yeah. I think that a, a good meal, and equally, a bad meal makes you feel grumpy. It doesn't matter where you are. If you go to a greasy spoon and have a bacon butty and the bacon's rubbish and the bread's rubbish, then it makes you feel rubbish. But if you have a really good bacon butty on a very <laughs> base level, you think, "Wow, yeah. You know, and I do, I think, I think it should. And I say, I genuinely say that to all of our teams that, you know what, if we don't leave, make people leave here feeling that they want to have sex, then, you know, we've, we've got something wrong.
3: <laughs> I'd love to see the interns on the first day going, what?
6: Yeah, it's kind of quite interesting when I take mum and dad, who are eighty-eight and eighty-four, to the restaurants, though.
3: (laughs) Well, my next question is: How many hotels do you own now, so that you can facilitate such a sensory pleasure? I'm I'm,
6: I'm missing a trick. I'm missing a trick on that one, Kate. (laughs)
3: But um, how, how does your wife Ali feel when you you explain your workspace like that? Because you guys met, I mean, years ago when you were waiting tables together, and she's also a chef, is that right?
6: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, she, she's not anymore, but yeah, she was. She's a trained chef. Yeah. Um, I, I think that. Well, I think that everybody who works in our industry really thinks it. It's 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 a really brilliant industry. I think that. Um, I think one of the greatest things it can do, for example, at the moment, we've got a young lad who's working with us, who we're just taking on as an apprentice here at greens and he's 17 and he's at catering college. And it would be not unfair to say that he had a pretty tough time at school, didn't do particularly well, had a few kind of troubles with other people and he's coming working in our kitchen and We've embraced him. It's an incredibly inclusive environment, the the hospitality industry. And I think whether it be in a kitchen or whether it be out front, you meet every single walk of life. I think, you know, at the moment there's a there's a fantastic movement in our country about inclusivity, um, no matter what creed, colour, sexual orientation, etc. etc. I think hospitality has always been that. You know, I've worked in hospitality now for 34 years and it has never, ever been an issue what your background was, creed, colour, religion, sexual mm. orientation, anything at all. And I think that's the greatest thing about it. And I think if you've got kids who maybe need a little bit of kind of dynamism about them or a little bit of confidence, hospitality is a great place to, kind of to, to discover that. So I think, you know, you do meet from kind of shy people who are coming out of their shell to complete and utter hedonists who really, but for hospitality, would probably be locked up.
3: <laughs> well, that actually reminds me of 15, Jamie Oliver's um, kind of social enterprise restaurant where he yeah. brought together a bunch of young uh, men and women and set them to work. And, and actually we saw for ourselves how the fertilizer that he put around their feet in terms of opportunity, potential, and just saying, we believe in you, you know, that we believe you can do this. Sometimes that is all people need to blossom and flourish. And actually you're right. The hospitality industry is, it's a dance, right? It's
6: brilliant. And you know, that, that whole thing that you, you are a team, if you're not a team, it falls apart. And you know, when, you know, when you've got a weak link in, in that chain, but at the end of it, no matter how hard it's been, that, first drink at the end of the night when you've all finished your shift is fantastic, you know, and you're all sort of there. And like, you know, in the kitchen in particular, I mean, I'm not a shouty chef at all. I never have been. Um, You're not? No. Yeah, that's, that's rare. Yeah, I, and, it, and it's weird because I think now there's a huge move in our industry to say this is actually really abhorrent. Um, and I've always felt it. I think maybe because, you know, that isn't my background. You know, like you said at the start, you know, I'm, I'm trained in fashion, textile design. So I wanted to be, because I didn't really know what I was doing. So never mind the rest of the team. So I felt, <laughs> if, well, my dad said this great thing when I first started employing people. He said, when you employ people, you need to give people the opportunity to succeed rather than the likelihood to fail. And I really like that. And I think if you use that in any manner, to it in life yeah. then it works so you know we can and don't get me wrong there are times when people need kind of you like look you know you can't do that you can't do that but you've got to give people the opportunity to flourish and I think that you know that's that's what I always want to do in, in all walks of life
3: well um as, as I did explain to you I have done some deep deep research on you and I know that you have retained so many of your key staff members so absolutely that that validates everything you've just said you've got people that have been with yeah. you some staff members for 20 years
6: yeah. Well, I've got, well, tonight, uh, upstairs in the kitchen, I've got uh, Matt, who's worked with me for 27 years on the front. Reese, who's our front house manager here, he's been here 28 years. And then because we're a bit short-staffed, then I've got two former employees who've moved on to kind of like, you know, to, to be promoted, who now work in uh, in hospitality catering in sort of schools. And because I'm short, I can still phone them up. So I've got Tom and Marv upstairs with me as well tonight, who don't work for me anymore. They've both worked for me for sort of six, seven years each and I said listen really short this week don't fancy a shift they've both gone oh my god yeah so it's like getting the band back together and so yeah oh that's lovely yeah and that's really lovely you know that that, that they still want to do that
3: especially after the 18 months that we've all lived through but I know the hospitality industry more than any I mean there's lots of industries that have really felt the brunt of this but you guys particularly.
6: Yeah, I mean I think I think with the possible exception of kind of theatres, we've probably been, you know, the, the hardest hit, The really. hardest hit, yeah. Um, and whilst, yeah, and I think, you know, whilst we you know, did takeaway and stuff, then our biggest site in the middle of Manchester called Albert Schloss, I mean, that is a, a big live music, live entertainment, cabaret, beer colour with loads and loads of food. And that's been shut for 18 months because it didn't make any sense to open mm-hmm. it. It's such a big site, it made no sense. And so you know, from a business point of view, view, suddenly what is the the biggest uh, restaurant that we have was taking no money. And obviously the other side of it is that for somebody like myself who's very much in the public eye then uh, again you you have to be very careful that you know it isn't sort of saying well it's all right for you you know you're still on telly and in like you know earning loads of money um and it, unfortunately it it is a reality you know but still now i'm not taking any money from any of the restaurants i've got 14 restaurants and don't, at the moment i'm taking nothing from them because there's no money to take
3: wow so actually if you didn't
6: have sunday brunch Honestly, Kate, when when I mean we've been so lucky that that stayed on right the way through. We had one week when we were off. How, to, how
3: have you managed to keep that going with all oh, of the difficulties? Really? Of, I mean, shooting with with COVID restrictions is so tricky. It's rough.
6: Well, we did. We had six weeks when we filmed from home, uh, which was fine. I kind of quite liked it, actually. It was it was quite fun. Uh, and then we've done up until very recently just a really skeleton stuff. You know, so down to mm. three cameras rather than five. Anyone that came on as a guest, you know, you know, like you know, if you're a guest on a show, you'll take your massive entourage. You've kind of twenty five people with you. It's just obviously, you. do your own yeah. makeup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, so you, no one could have their entourage. So it's different. But for, and I think also things have changed. You know, I, I, I guess even, say, pre-COVID, probably doing a podcast then you want to do face-to-face with people. Now we're so used to this, you know, yeah. and don't get wrong, it's, it's still the best thing is being face-to-face, but we're now used to this and it doesn't seem alien anymore. And I think what was really nice, I, I actually think that doing it from home it sort of really felt... Uh, like a nice thing to do because everyone else was in the same boat and you sort of think well we can't yeah. get in the studio so you're seeing you know what happens in my house and Tim's house and it just felt like oh well they're in the same boat as us you know rather yeah. than being in a here we are in a glossy studio way, yeah I'm stuck in my house as well
3: yeah and this is what I've got in the fridge deal yeah. with it yeah <laughs> so much for joining me this week for our weekly something from the seller episode if you love what you've heard and you want to go back and enjoy more great stories from the featured guests today you can search for them by using their guest names in the search bar or you can scroll through the back catalog this week we featured the lovely faye ripley dame prue leith and simon rimmer there's plenty to check out while you wait for our brand new episode to drop this friday with the one and only rick stein i'll see you then
6: Only from Rustolium.
0: Hold up.
2: White Wine Question Time is a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.